Data underlies every modern financial technology solution. And it's not exactly the easiest data to get a hold of, especially on businesses. Rails is one API that enables you to connect to the major financial and accounting service providers businesses use most, such as QuickBooks, Sage, FreshBooks, and more. You can get the data you need to build the next Outlander, Neobank, forecasting software, or modern insurance brokerage. Rails also normalizes the data so that you are working with smart data. Here is what's special for startups. When you sign up for Rails pay-as-you-go plan, you qualify for the six months free to access all connections, live integrations, and environments. You can follow the link in the show notes of this episode or let their team know you came through Data Science at Home podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Data Science at Home podcast. I'm Francesco, podcasting from the regular office of uh, Amethix Technologies based in Belgium. Today, I'm not alone. I am with uh, Matt Forrest, VP of Solutions Engineering at Carto.com. Hi, Matt. How are you doing today? Great, great. Thank you for having me. Yeah, Matt, it's a pleasure to have you on the show also because today we are going to discuss about something that, uh, you know, is quite common out there, which is databases, uh, but not so common because it's kind of special databases. I would say special, like in different, uh, but in fact, the actual word is special, <laughs> like space. <laughs> uh, we are talking about special SQL and special databases and machine learning applied to, uh, you know, different type of data. Uh, so I would definitely like to know a lot more than what I, I think I do. <laughs> uh, but we have Matt here, who's uh, definitely an expert on the on the subject. And uh, Matt, before we jump into the uh, this amazing topic, I would like to know a bit more about you, your background, and uh, your position at uh, Carta.com. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so obviously, Matt Forrest, um, based out of New York City. Um, my background is in geography. So um, I have a sort of a traditional geography education um, and also using a lot of GIS tools or geographic information systems, which we'll talk a little bit more about. Um, what I do at Cardo is I get to work with uh, geospatial data um, to analyze and use in different processes, whether that be machine learning, developing applications and solutions, but, but ultimately analyzing that data, um, understanding how that data interacts and using that to surface different insights uh, for our customers. So um, it's kind of a perfect thing for me. And so I get to use my, my background um, every day, learn something new um, and use a lot of different technical tools. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll talk a lot more about that, but um, yeah, that, that's sort of uh, uh, what I get to do. Yeah, that's great. I mean, it's always good to, uh, you know, use a lot of your background technical knowledge on sometimes quite narrow domains and, you know, you right. put your, yeah, um, that's amazing. Uh, do you also have skills and uh, background in machine learning, data science whatsoever? So, so no, not, not a formal training. Um, you know, I, I don't have um, what you would come out of, uh, you know, a university or, or, you know, PhD track for data science or statistics or anything like right. that. Um, they're sort of run in parallel paths. In geospatial, there's what we would call spatial data science, which are some mm -hmm. specific um, analysis and tools using geospatial data. Um, but there's certainly another kind of 
overlapping field with it, which is using geospatial data for machine learning. Uh, right. and, and actually spatial SQL is a really efficient way to uh, do what we call spatial feature engineering. We're probably going to say geospatial and spatial a thousand times in this podcast. So, <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, but we'll, 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 yeah, I, I think um, there's, there's these overlaps there, uh, but certainly the, the fields are starting to come together a lot more. Um, we see a lot more collaboration between uh, traditional data science teams and, and geospatial or GIS teams. Um, so it's a really interesting time to start to jump into this work. Yeah. So I want to say it one more time, what is spatial analysis? <laughs> yeah, um, so when we think of, of what is, we'll start with geospatial data, which is anything that exists in the earth. Um, and if you're, if you're coming to this from a pure data science or machine learning background, I'm sure you've come across some location data before. That could be a latitude or longitude, uh, that could be an address, that could be a city name. All of those things are location attributes. And roughly about 80% of data has a location attribute tied to it. Um, when we get into a geospatial feature, that's where we actually turn that into what's known as a geometry or geography, a physical thing on the Earth's surface. So that um, usually consists of a point, um, a line, or a polygon. And those features we can use to start to um, understand interactions between those spatial features. Um, so a simple example is if I have a, a retail location, I want to understand, you know, who comes to that store. I can create sort of a buffer or a trade area around that location and then look at all the intersecting, um, you know, census units that have demographic information tied to them. And there's a lot more data you can add to that, but that's a very you know, sort of simple illustration. The other data that's used from geospatial um, perspective is it's what's known as Earth observation data or satellite imagery. Um, and those images you can use to extract other data and information from. You can study things like deforestation, uh, you know, city built environment changes, uh, construction, um, all these different things you can study from just looking at the earth. And that's uh, in the form of raster or image data, of course. Um, and you use different techniques to extract information from those pixels to sort of study and, and, uh, and learn. It's a very simple overview, but uh, effectively use all of that data to understand how things interact in the physical world and then use that information to study uh, different trends or analyses or, or different things that are taking place. So, yeah. Well, and in fact, I mean, spatial and locations, in fact, are pretty much everywhere in, in all the things that we do today. Uh, I believe that during COVID, uh, this has been a much more prominent task for or well, application for sure, right? Yeah, it, it's really started, you know, when when the pandemic first hit was just seeing where, okay, where, where are mm -hmm. infections? Where are these things changing and moving? Um, it started to evolve into understanding, you know, um, access, you know, access to vaccination sites, mm -hmm. um, you know, understanding, you know, who is getting the vaccine? How can we reach different communities and things like that? Um, and then into a broader conversation around, um, you know, um, access to different, um, you know, resources and features, whether that's uh, health care in person, but also healthcare in terms of telehealth, you know, internet access and all these pieces, since our lives have been so changed and tied to who can get on the internet to work and um, access healthcare or go to school, you know, all of these issues around equity are starting to sort of change and be studied. Um, and there's not great data for it. You know, it's something that, you know, is, is there's a data creation piece, but also how we actually study those trends. So, um, you know, thinking of it just beyond the virus itself, how, how much our lives have been uprooted and how that's tied to location, um, you know, and, and 
even beyond that more how that's a change how we interact with physical you know space you know how yeah. we change you know how we've moved and, and change where we live, how we change with how we interact with stores and, and people around us and restaurants and shopping. Um, it's been a massive change and there's been a lot of interest in what that looks like. So it's, it's been a, it's, it's been a big shift, you know, over the last, uh, I guess, two years now. So, yeah, yeah. I believe so. I believe so. And uh, Matt, uh, is there a, uh, a particular workflow or a particular real world use case, regardless of COVID, of course, uh, mm-hmm. but, you know, something that we can, or listeners for sure can, uh, uh, you know, understand where is spatial analysis uh, utilized the most or uh, why it is important, in fact? Yeah, I'll start with an example because when I, you know, um, I've learned a lot of data science techniques from great courses and online materials. Um, Like I said, I'm not classically trained, you know, I'm not a statistician, I'm not, you know, data scientist by trade, uh, but I've learned a lot of these things over time. And, um, you know, a lot of the Kaggle, you know, sort of notebooks and, and things that are out there that I've taught and you can see a lot of what people are thinking about one that i saw all the time was like the ames iowa housing data set right and you can try to predict house browsing prices based on the the house when you think about housing of course there's so many things about a location that in, in you know uh, can impact a housing price. What school district are you in? What's your proximity to a highway or a grocery store? What's the demographics of the neighborhood? Um, you know, is there a park nearby? I can go on and on, uh, but none of those those analyses really use those features, right? And that's a process we call spatial feature engineering, right? And we to a very simple example of that is okay. You know, if if I look at a house, what's the median income of the census unit it falls into. Uh, But not only that, what are the, you know, the median incomes of the surrounding census units to get a sense of the neighborhood or place and and all these different features. And and there's some great resources that we we can share that talk about this in great detail um, and how to create those features and use them. But that's a really simple example, but you can look at that across many different industries. Um, Obviously this is a real estate case, but we see a lot of cases with retail you know, where to open new stores or locations or what are consumer trends. Uh, same for consumer packaged goods. Uh, you know, uh, government is another huge use case. How do we, you know, uh, build and create cities that are you know, useful and livable for people? Where do we place new facilities and, and all these different pieces, logistics um, and transportation? Um, the list goes on. Anything that kind of interacts with physical space. And I'm not even touching some of the, um, you know, uh, different aspects about imagery analysis or, or sure. these things. There's, there's a whole other, you know, component there as well. So Wow. Uh, indeed, this is, seems to be really something huge. I mean, the, the number of applications that can utilize spatial data is incredible. Yeah. Uh, w- well, how do you, uh, I mean, I believe that uh, the way people fetch data from databases, I mean, a lot of database administrators there uh, are very familiar with languages like SQL, for example. Uh, is there anything related to uh, spatial data as well, uh, something like SQL? Yeah, so many common databases and data warehouses will have spatial functionality in that, and we call that broadly spatial SQL. Um, in the Postgres world, there's an extension called PostGIS. Um, it's, it's open source and has a large set of functionality for working with reading and transforming spatial data. 
um, and it's it's really powerful. Uh, but common data warehouses like BigQuery, um, Snowflake, uh, Amazon Redshift, and uh, you know Databricks all have spatial functionality as well. So there's uh, there's all of those tools sitting there um, for you to use. And really, when we talk about spatial SQL, you know you have your different data types. You have numbers and uh, booleans and uh, you know text and and all these different fields that you can use. There's one called a geography or geometry. Um, depending on, on, on what you're looking at. And that is a that point line or polygon I was talking about in a SQL database. And what you can do is you can transform those. You can turn them from text into a geometry. Um, I can understand and measure them. What's the length of a, a feature? What's the perimeter of a polygon? I can see how they interact, how many points fall within a certain polygon. And then can I aggregate that into a sum or an average? Um, I can see you know, how much they overlap or what percentage. So you can create all these, what we call spatial relationships all within the database. And from a SQL perspective, all the great things you can do with SQL, you know, you can do joins and, and aggregations and window functions and, uh, you know, even some light statistical things. You can do a lot of that heavy lifting in a very fast way on the database. Um, and so for a data scientist that's not familiar with SQL, um, that's a great way to get started is to add features to the work that you're doing. For someone from GIS, you can you know, in a traditional GIS workflow, you can accelerate what you're doing and, uh, and also collaborate with peers in other areas because you're using the same language. And that's something that has not existed, um, you know, in, uh, up until recently where we have this cross-collaboration between people in traditional GIS roles and people in other data science and analytics roles that are doing these pieces. So interesting. So there is a, you know, I, I've, I have the feeling that there is a very tight connection with, uh, let's say, traditional uh, SQL. Um, once you start from, let's say, the raw data, the geographic data, uh, you create aggregates, you create something structured, right? And then yeah. you query the structured uh, data that you have just generated. Am I correct? Or did I understand well? Yeah. Yeah, no, that, that's the well put. Um, I think there's a huge, even before we get to, to that piece, there's also um, lots of considerations around ETL and um, bringing this data in. There's, of course, you know, cases for, for streaming analytics. You know, if I'm collecting right. a data point, could I easily enrich that with some spatial information that's that's streaming in? Um, but ETL from a, or what we call geospatial data engineering is a huge component as well because you know, there's a few considerations, right? Your data, um, you may need to, to clean it or filter it. Um, you may need to reproject it. And, and there's a whole, um, when I say reproject, it's the representation of the curved uh, surface of the earth on a flat plane. Um, there's, there's, hundreds and thousands of different types of projections and people use different ones. <laughs> um, and also data formats. Um, there's, there's a great tool called uh, GDAL, um, G-D-A-L. Um, it's also pronounced Google. Um, so you can hear both pronunciations, um, but it is, uh, makes data transformation very easy. And it supports, I think upwards of like, you know, just closer, I, at last I counted, I think it's like 160 different, different data formats for geospatial. <laughs> Um, wow. There's so many different types of geospatial data and formats out there. Um, so looking at all of that, how do I get that into a singular, you know, format that can fit in a SQL database? Uh, there's also challenges there. So there's all this data engineering piece. Then we get into the database. We can use and work these manipulations and aggregations and um, mm -hmm. intersections and then surface those insights to use in different workflows from there. So I see. And, and before getting to the engineering part and the data formats, of course, I would like to spend some words on the um, 
feature engineering part. That's exactly, I believe, where people with your background, you know, geography, in fact, would play a fundamental role of creating these features, right? Yeah, I think it's one of the most significant overlaps between, you know, people that are doing pure, you know, GIS work or geospatial work and uh, pure data science work, because um, it's something where a domain expert in, you know, uh, you know, in modern GIS can understand, okay, you know, here's the business problem we're looking at. Once again, like, you know, we'll go back to our, our um, housing example. There's different things you want to study, where are those attributes, what data do I need, where can I collect it from, you know, all this information that you can pull from different sources. So they can start to study that. And then also understand the spatial relationships, right? There's this uh, kind of what we call like a, a neighbor effect, right? You know, so you you want to study, of course, where you physically sit, but also how, in you know, surrounding areas are impacting, you know, your, your you know, um, your housing value or things like that. Um, because those things can change as you move along um, and that can can change from, from place to place. Uh, so I guess an example of that would be if you look at a side of a road you know, on one side, it could be, you know, it could look very different than the other side of a road in terms of housing or, um, you know, uh, you know, what's what's there is it is one side residential, one side has more, you know, commercial or, or bars or things like that. And how does that your distance decay change as you move away from that feature? So you can do all those pieces and you can do it in the same location with spatial SQL, right? So I can create those features and then share them with someone who's doing the machine learning workflows and all these different um, you know, processes and building incredible models and help them enable them to, to make those models even better or more informed, right? And then you can start to study, okay, where are the spatial features that impact that? And what we see is, you know, usually, you know, that we, you can generate massive amounts of spatial features. There's a, you know, it's of course understanding dimensionality and some of these key problems as well, but there's usually a few key features that will stand out from a spatial perspective that can have a boost for a model and take it, you know, kind of to the next level. So, right. you know, of course, when you're looking at a house, of course, square footage, number of bedrooms and bathrooms, all these things matter, but what about all the, what are the key spatial features and it, it can vary from place to place it might be proximity to schools or grocery stores or maybe yeah. parks in one place and then maybe transportation lines or subways in another city so i understand okay so how does the, the typical data science team look like uh because i mean there is for sure a lot of overlap with the you know traditional data science if you allow me that term uh, but there is also a very narrow, very specific domain and, and background that one has to have to create these features that seem to be uh, sector-specific, domain-specific in a way. Like you mentioned the real estate, but of course, uh, I don't know, for uh, security or smart city uh, would be something, uh, you know, pretty different from what we, uh, you know, what we collect or what we create in terms of features for uh, assessing the price of a house, of course. So how does, how different um, is the typical data science team in spatial analysis from the typical data science team in just data science? <laughs> yeah, they're, they're not all that different. And where we've seen, where I think data science has seen a specialization of roles lately, um, you know, it was you know, previously data scientists did everything from you know, computer science and, you know, engineering, you know, pieces all the way up to the models and this, 
statistics and, and even creating, creating visualizations. So where those roles have started to separate, we're, we're just starting to see that in, in sort of this like modern GIS space. Um, so traditionally you had someone who was kind of like a geospatial jack of all trades. They did ETL, they put data in databases, they did modeling, they did visualization and even up to application development. So from a what we see now is you have a geospatial data engineer, right? Who can work with raw data, take it from different locations Maybe there's open source data from cities that's being shared. You might have uh, your own proprietary data. You might acquire data, but you're bringing it into a common format and generally, uh, you know, a spatially, you know, a spatially enabled you know, SQL database or data warehouse. Um, you have, you know, GIS analysts that are more on the analytical level, looking at data and, and understanding interactions between them. And, and they can be experts in, in, you know, domain experts in, in GIS workflows, right? How do these data sets interact? How can we visualize them and share some, some insights very quickly? Uh, the next role is like what we call a spatial data scientist that is really focused on spatial modeling and there's different you know problems that are very specific really related to spatial how do we study things like inequality and access with across spatial data or um, hot neighboring features and how they interact with each other um, territory balancing problems and um, you know network path analysis and, and you know routing and these types of things uh, for your listeners out there there's a great library called PySAL. it's the python spatial analysis library um, open source library to that focuses on geographic data science. So very specifically, you know, on all things geospatial and GIS. Um, so I, it's excellent. Uh, it's maintained by an, um, a great group of people in the university sector and the private sector that are putting together some really excellent tools and libraries to start with. Um, so that's where I would start to look at what is specifically spatial data science. Um, and then I would say the last roles are, you know, sort of like developers that might take that data and put it into solutions or other places that people might want to use. So, right. Well, for sure, we'll report some of the references and links that you have mentioned to in the show notes of this episode, as always, on uh, the official website at datascienceathome.com. Uh, but before we conclude the episode, uh, Matt, I would like to know is there any uh, deep learning involved or is off shelf, off the shelf machine learning, um, or are or do you guys deal only with, uh, let's say, custom uh, data science, custom model uh, models? Yeah, there, you know, we, there's, there's, I would kind of categorize, you know, spatial machine learning in a few categories. Uh, and we're also seeing a new trend, which is doing that with spatial SQL. Um, so I'll get to that as well. The, the first would be, like I said, using traditional machine learning with spatial features, right? Um, it's your, the models you're probably already using and using spatial feature engineering to create new features. Uh, the second would be pure spatial modeling. So those territory problems, understanding inequality and access, you know, um, there's different spatial models that are used there. Uh, the third would be specifically around the earth observation piece. And there's some spatial analysis that uses, you know, extracts the imagery and the raster data to understand these different trends and categorize different data. But deep learning has been a, a real key piece to that, um, you know, to, to scale and understand, okay, you know, can I categorize, I've, I've seen use cases about, um, can I look and scan imagery of pools to see which ones are in code or out of code based on their cleaning, right? Oh, these wow. pools clean <laughs> based on the color of the pools from the imagery, which is, which is right. crazy that you can actually see that. Um, and then I would say, but when I was talking about using spatial SQL to do some of this, 
you know, at the scale of data that imagery is being produced at, and, and we're talking terabytes and billions of pixels, right? You know, the scale is massive here. How can I do that really efficiently? Um, there's really great tools. And as I think some of the data warehouses have added more machine learning capabilities into them, uh, you know, there's, there's different capabilities in BigQuery to actually do machine learning on the data warehouse. And at that scale and at the, the volume of data that's being produced, I think that's a really interesting option is how can we use spatial SQL, feature engineering and machine learning all in the same location with massive scales of data. Uh, it starts becoming really interesting. So that's an area that I've been really interested in lately. So Nice. Uh, Matt, uh, are there resources out there uh, for the fellow followers of the show? courses, tutorials, even blog posts. Uh, I've seen some on the on the Carta.com uh, blog. Uh, is there anything else you would like to advise or guide uh, the audience towards? Yeah, uh, there's there's definitely some great use cases we use for spatial data plus machine learning on uh, on Cardo, our, our blog. So we can share some links there that might be interesting. Um, everything from you know understanding retail trends and prediction to um, you know using imagery to create data sets and understanding urbanity models. Um, if you're looking, you know, more on the you know language or you know to dive into some geospatial libraries or tools, um, I'll share some resources from my blog uh, on spatial SQL, how to get started with that and using the geometries to create some of these different features, as well as some um, you know different resources for different uh, geospatial Python libraries and things like that. And then we've talked a lot about spatial feature engineering. There's a great resource from some of the creators of PySAL that I actually talk about about how to use spatial feature engineering and perform that. So um, I'll definitely share those over, but that, that's, those are some great places to get started. Right. I'm sure that the audience of this show will find all these resources extremely useful to get started or even get more into this uh, amazing topic, which is uh, indeed spatial analysis and spatial machine learning. That was Matt Forrest, VP of Solutions Engineering at Cardo.com. Thank you very much, Matt. Thanks for being here. Thank you. You've been listening to Data Science at Home Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or Podbean to get new, fresh episodes. For more, please follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, or visit our website at datascienceathome.com.